grateful. You want to turn those lights on? From Minnesota. He said, Minnesota. He said, what city? From Minneapolis. He said, Minneapolis. Hey, I'm from Minneapolis. He said, uh, where did you live? He said, uh, I lived in the South Side. He said, where'd you go? I, went, I lived on the South Side. So said, where did you go to high school? He said, I went to Roosevelt. He said, I went to Roosevelt. He said, uh, what year did you graduate? He said, I graduated in 98. 98? I graduated in 98. He said, where did you live? He said, on South 22nd. He said, I lived on South 22nd Avenue. That time the, the phone rang on the, behind the counter and the bartender walked down to the counter and grabbed the phone and picked up the phone and he said, yeah, hon, yeah, yeah, pretty quiet night here. Not much really happening tonight. Just the Johnson twins and they're drunk again. All right. You know what? We're not drunk, but we are a family. I'm convinced of that. And we're in the same family here. So uh, with that, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at a passage of scripture tonight, a good passage of scripture about leaving a legacy. Now, most of us, we would like to say, hey, what's going to happen in your life? You know, what do you want to do with your life? What, what's really going to matter? Most of us say, hey, this is important that I'd like to have a life of significance, that what, my do, what I'm doing with my life is going to make a difference to somebody. Most of us just cannot, make the, cannot hold the idea that your life doesn't matter. If you died, it's not a big deal. Most of us cannot fathom that we were just this haunting us. But in this passage of scripture, we're reading about the centurion. And it's a very insightful passage of scripture that impacts us to say, hey, you know what? You and I have some lessons to learn about, not only as fathers, not only as mothers, but as human beings, as people that want to live a life that honors God. So will you stay with me as we read from Matthew chapter 8? I'm reading from verse uh, 8, verse 5, excuse me. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The Syrian replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. 
and his servant was healed at that moment. Let's pray. Lord, your word is timeless. And as we look at this passage of scripture tonight, I think that all of us, we'd like to know that my life is going to have some impact, some positive, godly influence, something that you'd say that there is a reason you gave me life and breath. You gave me new life through Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this word, Lord, would you spur us, would you stir us up again? Would you rekindle the flame? Would we re-vector our direction? that it would be one that really has a legacy of glorifying you. This is our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. People do some radical things to make a legacy. They'll take risks. They'll do amazing self-sacrifice on a dare, I mean, to make evil Knievel the dangers that he took because he wanted to leave some kind of, hey, he's making money off of this, but I mean, in my era, I would think of the people that make a lot of risk because they're gonna leave a, a memory in other people's lives. Many of us would like to have, you know, we'll give thousands or millions of dollars to have a hospital wing named after us. You've seen that done. Or wouldn't that be something if your hometown, wherever you're from, if they were to say, we are just so impressed by the service that you've done to your country, and thank you for not dying, but you know that even while you're li- alive, we'd like to name a street after you. Whole new subdivision here in town, and we're going to name it after you. Most of us would think, that is really cool. The James Tim Street. I mean, it doesn't that just sound like a flare. No. I mean, but we do things. In fact, we name our children after us, or at least give them the, that our middle name is, you know, Taylor James Tim's. We do things like that because we'd like to say that, hey, after this life is over, that, hey, there's some impact there. I remember doing a retirement ceremony in Inchalik, Turkey some years ago for a senior master sergeant. She was a pretty tough lady. And uh, I remember it was a pretty bland ceremony until the narrator said that the mayor of Valdosta, Georgia had named July 23rd as Senior Master Sergeant Jones Day. You know, I saw that pretty tough lady. Her lips started to quiver. It was just something, and her eyes started getting wet. Because you know what? To say that that, my hometown of Valdosta, Georgia, named a day after me, isn't that pretty something? Senior citizens will make a lot of sacrifices and donate a lot of time because, hey, why? Well, they're going to die, right? But to think that maybe, you know, I've been paying taxes all these years, but, you know, maybe my offering and giving to crippled children's home or helping people out, that there will be somebody standing up at my funeral or that somebody will say that my life had been not just always about myself, but it was about serving other people. So we look at this young army captain from some 2,000 years ago, and I just want to share a couple of things that stand out in this passage of Scripture, because as I look at this, I think, hey, this guy never woke up one morning thinking, you know, I'd like to be in the Bible. But he was. The Bible says this young man, he knew who he was. He said, I'm a man who takes orders. He said that he knew that he was under somebody else's authority. There are some other supervisors. He's only watching over 100 guards, right? But he said, I'm a man under authority, and I also know where I am in this chain. I say to certain people, you go here, you come here, you do this, you do this, and people do what I ask them to do. But he knew exactly where he was in this chain. Sometimes we're trying to 
be somebody else that we're not. And we're trying to be acting like we're somebody really, really big when you're really not that big. I mean, it's not, you're only a lieutenant colonel or you're only a senior man. Who knows? It's not always about rank, but sometimes we're trying to impress people because we're bigger, we want to be bigger than what we really are. This guy said, I know where I am and I give orders and, some pe and people do what I do. The story is told about Moses that the first 40 years of Moses' life, the scholars say that he was, he thought he was a somebody. He was Pharaoh's son. He lived right there in the court in 40, 40 years of his life. He was pretty impressive. I mean, can you imagine riding around and, I mean, this is pretty, he was known as Pharaoh's son, but he killed a man and he ran for his life. He was on the lamb and the scholars say that he was on the lamb or he was a, a nobody for 40 years. So he's on the backs of the desert tending sheep. I mean, talk about that you were in the king's court, you're in the, the, the president's court and all of a sudden you're running for your life. You're scared for your life. You're nobody. But it was the last 40 years of Moses' life when God took a nobody and made him into a somebody. To think, I mean, you had it all, you were really big, and I realized that you're nothing, and then God takes that nothing and he uses that nothing for somebody, for his glory. Some years ago, a pastor told me about this new church that he was planting, and, and it, was, it was a humble church, and, and, but God was moving in this church. And he had this worship leader that was not the most gifted worship leader. But you know what? God was moving on the services. And people came and they just loved on the Lord. And, and uh, a new guy came into town and he was visiting this church. And he, and he, he knew that there was some deficiency in the, on the worship team. So he said to the pastor, he said, I'd like to meet with you. And when he met with the pastor, he said, hey, pastor, he said, I can play the guitar. I mean, far better than the worship guy that you got there going right now. And I really have, I've trained I've vocal lessons. I've got an incredible voice. Since I'd like to be your new worship leader, he said, by the way I can play a guitar and sing, I said, just think of what God could do with me. And my pastor friend said, probably nothing. <laughs> because you know what? God is looking for somebody who, are, somebody who says, I'm empty to myself, I'm nobody. And that's what 1 Corinthians says, that God uses the small things, the despised things, the weak things. Why? Not because he needs help. He uses those kind of instruments for his glory. So we have to come to this point where we're just kind of emptying ourselves out of all of our accolades and all those different impressions that we're making. Say, God, if in this humble vessel, I know I'm not much, God, and, and forgive me for those areas of pride, but God, if you can work through this humble vessel, please do. Those are the vessels God's looking for. Has anyone ever heard of Sister Mother Teresa? Who is she? I mean, she's dead now, right? But who is this lady? Nobody. But this person who says, nobody, and I want to touch somebody, how we all know who Mother Teresa is. This last week, um, on Wednesday, we had a, a team offsite. We wanted to do some training so we went over to Camp Asalea. We met with their chaplain corps and had some training, went through this one, this book. But during the training, they were talking about how we're seeing other individuals. And, and, and honestly, I've gone through a lot of trainings, but this was really, if I can buy a new book and I can read a book for, let's pay $15, $20, and I can learn one or two new things that are going to impact my life, that is a good investment. 
is worth reading that book, right? That's why I've got a lot of books to just keep reading because, hey, if I can learn something to make me a better father, a better human being, a better pastor, a better, better friend, a better uh, husband, I, that's a good investment. But during this eight-hour training, we're talking about how we're seeing other individuals. And, you know, they could be I mean, being in the box or out of the box. And I'm not going to go through this whole training, but during the training, it was not just how we're seeing other individuals, like you're an obstacle, and so that's why I treat you the way I am, and you're, you know, you're a, you're a nobody, so that's why I treat you like the way I am. And this was like, do I treat people, do I think of people like that? But during the training, I started to ask myself, how, who am I? Not just who, how I see you, but how am I engaged with other people? And you know, sometimes I think it's possible, I mean, do I want to be John the Baptist or Jesus Messiah? Do I see myself as the big, I'm, I'm dad here, and so I'm gonna tell you what to do, or can I see myself differently, not as, not just how I'm looking at you, but if I were to see myself as John the Baptist, one who came preparing the way. For instance, let's just say that, because we were talking in this training about, all right, consider one relationship that's not everything you want to be, and I was thinking of our relationship with my son, my wife and my relationship with our son. Now, Taylor is incredibly smart, he's very high IQ, and in my mind as a father, I thought, you know, he didn't go as far, I want him to be a genius, I mean, he's a genius, he's really high IQ, but I thought he'd be a brain surgeon. Well, he doesn't want to be a brain surgeon. He doesn't want to go and get a degree in engineering. And so I had to just let all those kind of things go. Now, fathers, you may identify, mothers, you may identify with this. You know, maybe you're, you know, people are just identifying at some level, but I thought maybe my love, my treatment of him was conditional because he hadn't measured up to what I wanted for him. And I thought, how very sad that this dad who loves him, like our Heavenly Father loves us unconditionally, versus like to say, you know, I'll love you more if you really start reading 10 chapters every day, and I'll love you a whole lot more if you start sharing your faith with, about Jesus, about me more. That's not how our Heavenly Father does that. But I start to think, maybe this is not all about James. Maybe God has, that my job is to help Taylor be that servant, just versus whatever that's going to be. It's not conditional, though. That I don't look at him as somebody who's going to help me fulfill. Like, you've really got a pretty good son there. If I get rid of all of those things, like, however God wants to be glorified in Taylor's life, that's good with me. So I had some confession to do, like, just come out, and, and as we come up on Father's Day, and he's a father now, to send a lot of gifts to him, but also to his son to say, I mean, how we grow in this relationship. Because it's not my legacy. My legacy will be your son and his son. Anyway, how do I want people to see me? How do I see myself? I hope I'm going to be this one who's going to be the one who's not out for himself, but the one who's helping others get where they want to be. This young man, the centurion, was willing to pay a price. You know, the Bible says that this man tracked Jesus down. He went, for, and this is in a culture where servants, hey, you got sick, fired. We're going to go get somebody else because life is cheap. You and I have lived in countries. You and I have been in places where servant labor is very cheap, and there's not like a, hey, we're going to get you the very best medical doctor to get your, your, your you're fired, and we're going to go get somebody else from another country. And some of us have a hard time realizing, like, I can't believe life is so cheap here. 
I remember a, a, a large Samoan guy who came in for counseling one day at Fort Benning. And he said the hardest part of his year-long deployment was he said, watching over the wall in Iraq where people would, men would abuse their women. He said, and we couldn't do a damn thing about it. So it was just to think that life was so, like here, we value life. We value how we're treating other people. We have rules of all those kind of things. But he said, cannot do anything about it. This young man, this servant, this centurion, though, he went to track Jesus down. Totally different value, totally different understanding of life. Lou Holtz says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. See, when you empathize with the agony of others, well, you're at the point where God can really use you greatly. If I were to look at people, not like by rank, not by caste system, but how God looks at those other individuals, I don't know where you came from, I don't know your upbringing, but to think, how does God see that person? Now I'm putting myself in the position where God says I can use you. Because it's not about you, it's how you, I can use you in, my, in their life. So we say, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. The pastor came up to the young man, he said, young man, he said, Jesus doesn't want you to die for him. He already did that for you. He wants you to go and live for him. And that's, my friend, sometimes where we get confused because we, we want it to be done our way, but we're not willing to die daily. The, die, the death of my ambition, the death of my hopes, the death of, of the things of my achievements. It's like I want to live for God's glory right there and then. This, this legacy that we talk about, it's not something we're going to pursue. It's something that's going to happen to you. I'm pretty sure this young man, when he was when he started out looking for Jesus, he was not thinking, you know, I want to be in the book. And I got to do something really selfless. I got to do something that's really phenomenal that people are going to take a note of. Your actions are always being recorded. I'm very sure that well, other people may not see your actions. They may not see your sacrifices. The Almighty does. This man is driven by his values. He's driven by something that's really of importance to him. It's not about how he's being seen. It's not about how he's how uh, people, you know, whether he's going to get credit for that or not. He's because he values this man's life. He was just doing what was right. It wasn't that big to him. He was not trying to make a name for himself. I think about you serving here in this country. When you voluntarily took an oath, when you voluntarily said, I want to serve my country, realizing that you probably could deploy, and, you're, and you did realizing that you'd be separated from your family, and you are. Realizing that, you know, you may go someplace where you don't want to go, and you will. But this is what it's called about service. In the Air Force, we talk about service before self, right? But in the kingdom, we talk about my life for his glory. That is service all over again, a whole to another, whole another realm. Bible says that a good name is more desirable than gold. Yeah, I think, but when we're living ourselves for God's glory, there is that legacy. A pastor friend of mine said that um, his daughter said that he was a better Christian than he was a preacher. I thought, boy, of all the compliments you could ever make give to a pastor, wouldn't that be something to say that you are a better father, you're a better Christian than you are a musician or than a commander or whatever it is? 
on Father's Day, I hope that you hear, you know, your children, fathers, I hope that you hear good words of, of affirmation like, thanks for being a godly man. Thanks for being an influence for godliness in our home. Thanks for being a father and a good father. Lastly, let me share this. You may think that your legacy has already been written because you've screwed up and you've made mistakes and people say you'll never, you'll never get past that. I was really cheering for Michael Vick. Years ago, Michael Vick, the dog incident and all that, and people thought, yeah, throw him in jail. But you know when Michael Vick confessed and said, yeah, I'm going to jail, I was, I was like, I hope he comes back. I hope he's the best football, I hope he's in national, you know, NFL, all-star. Because sometimes when people mess up, it's easy to keep them down. Like, he really messed up this time. But, and you and I should be relating with this because you and I, we mess up and, people, and we can't think, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe that I, I, I even know better. But we serve, this is the gospel, that we serve this master who, in your abundance of sin, there's an abundance of grace. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. So we end up saying, you know, I, I can't believe it. I, I'll do better next time. Well, you know, if you do or do not, his mercy and his grace is abundant. I love knowing that's great news, right? So Alfred Nobel was a prolific inventor. He had 355 patents to his credit. Eight years before his death, Nobel read his own obituary. I bet you'd like to do that, huh? Although it was his brother Ludwig who had actually died. And the obituary described his achievements and condemned him for inventing dynamite for which he was known. And it was an explosive which had caused the deaths of so many. But this moved Alfred Nobel to change course and to use his wealth for the betterment of others. When he died in, 19, in 1896, executors found that he had created a series of prizes that he intended to finance with the interest from his fortune. And we know those as the Nobel Prize. Peace Prize in literature and all the other things. It's not too late. Sometimes the adversary says, you, you're really just going to play to the end of the game here, but we're always going to remember your mistakes. No, it's not like that. Life is not over. And that's why we give our lives, right? God, hey, this is, I'm up to this point, but I'd like to have you do something new in my life. And that the legacy of my life, the influence of my life will be for your glory that it's not been written yet. Will you bow your hearts with me in prayer? As you look in, in the sanctuary of your own heart, you know, I just, sometimes we come to the point of scripture and we, we wonder like, yeah, I've made my mistakes, and, but it's pretty well written. But tonight, perhaps, this is an opportunity for you to say, Lord, I wanna renew my covenant with you to be a father, to be a husband, to be a man of God, to be a child of God, one that honors you daily walks in your light, walks in your word. Just look in the sanctuary of your own heart. We're going to pray. It's a simple prayer, but Lord, you look in our heart tonight. As the song says, we are, our hearts are prone to wander. After the flood, your word says that you looked upon the hearts of man, his heart was continually prone to doing evil. Lord, I, that's not us, is it? But Lord, if we are wayward, if we do stray, would you re-vector us? Would you bring us back around again and cleanse our heart as you do that even now through your precious blood? 
And Lord, would you once again renew that covenant to do what is right, to be a child, to be a man, a woman of honor, one who who really seeks to do what is right, that honors to you. Not living our own lives, not for our own praise, but Lord, for your glory. Lord, we pray for our families at home tonight. As they're playing, as they're getting up and they're having fun, keep your hand on them. We're so far away, but as parents, we're, we, we can lift them up to you and ask for you to keep your kind hand on their lives. This is our duty to do that. As Job did it, Lord, we lift up our children. Keep your hand on them. And Lord, soon, very soon, we pray for that happy reunion when we can go back home and be with family. But until then, keep your hand on them and your hand on our lives as well. For those warriors in and out of theater and the many dangerous missions, Lord, we ask for your continued safety and blessing on their lives. Lord, in this song, in this worship service this morning, this evening, we didn't know what you what you want to do, but we open up our hearts to you and say, Lord, just do it again. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. We love you. We pray in the name that's all above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand for our closing song tonight?